You are listening to the Connect Over Coffee podcast, the show that brings you hope and inspires you to embrace the spirit of overcoming. Each month, we deliver the latest and greatest information on progress and advances in ovarian cancer screening, diagnosis, treatment, and survivorship. Now here's your host, Runsi Sen. Let's connect over coffee. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Connect Over Coffee. I'm Runsi, the founder of Overcome, and our guest today is Debbie Bisbeno. Did you know about 20 to 25% of women diagnosed with ovarian cancer have a genetic mutation? Cancer runs in her family, and Debbie today is here to tell us how genetic mutation impacted her family and to share with us her own story of overcoming. Welcome, Debbie, to this episode of Connect Over Coffee. Good morning, Renzi. It's a pleasure to be here. Debbie, you have several members in your family that carry the genetic mutation. So can you tell us more about how you came to know about this and what you did with the information and how has this overall impacted you and all your family members? Uh, Absolutely. Um, My younger sister, um, we didn't have a really close relationship. I know all families have those where you're really close with some and not as close with others. So my younger sister had ovarian cancer probably a year and a half or so before I was diagnosed. And I had talked to my um, um, my gynecologist at the time and told her about it. And she suggested um, getting some genetic testing. and, And I said, okay, you know, of course, you know, I had three kids in college I was paying for and my concern was cost, you know, which it shouldn't have been, but at the time it was a big thing about cost. So um, I didn't do it at the time. Uh, Hindsight, I would have definitely done it. Um, So- And Debbie, how how many years ago was this? um, So I was diagnosed in October of 16. And so I would say this was probably in the latter part of 2014 or or, or early part of 2015. And unlike some cancers, you know, ovarian cancer is not detected by your pap smear or, you know, sometimes they can fill masses, but I, I was good about getting my annual exam and, and, you know, she felt nothing at the time. So, um, Once I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, I went to MD Anderson and automatically they do genetic testing there, which I was thankful. And, 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 and I went to a genetic counselor and I learned more and more about it because, you know, when you just see a gynecologist, I don't think that you're given as much information as you need, because if you're not dealing with cancer, you don't really understand all of the genetics about it, unless you fully go in at first and research it a little bit. So once I got the information, I was like, oh, wow. And even one of my younger daughters went with me to the, to the um, actual counseling. And she had a lot of really good questions because, of course, once I tested positive, it affects, you know, oh, they may be positive for the mutation as well. So after I got the information that I was, it was my mission to make sure that everyone in our family was tested. So um, of course, my children were first and foremost, and, and two of my daughters are positive when one is negative. And, and with that information, you know, to me, with anything, I've always believed that knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have, the better you are with, with what you're faced. 
and 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 my girls are all the same. And so with the two that were tested positive, one is 30 and one is 29, they are already getting their mammograms and they will, um, one is already, you know, having children and she sees a cancer specialist at, at the facility where she goes and she will, they will start the CA with 25 so that they get a baseline and they will keep a good eye on her just to make sure that, you know, um, things don't come up and with, we don't come up with surprises. That's why the, the, the knowledge of knowing that you're carry the BRCA gene or whatever mutation you may have is important. Um, out of my family, my sisters and my, even my brother was tested. Three of us out of six were positive and um, three were, were negative of the gene. And, and I've already lost um, two sisters to cancer that, and these were the other two that had the, the actual uh, mutated gene. Thank you for sharing, Debbie. It seems like, as you said, so many members of your family have tested positive, they carry the mutation. And most importantly, as you shared with us, uh, you were given the choice to test somewhere around 2014, but uh, then you eventually got diagnosed in 2016. So obviously, if you could go back in time, you would probably change your alter your decision. Uh, but it also, you know, shines a light on the importance of genetic testing and to do it if, especially if there is family history and there is um, suggested guidance on that. And like you said, it is uh, it, it could, could have been expensive and things have changed over the course of the last few years, but, you know, cost considerations, time considerations and other things come in the uh, you know, come in the foreplay when we just make decisions on that, on these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, as you said, it is so important to follow through and get your testing done um, to avoid situations which could be complex in the future. So thank you for, for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, and, and Renzi, can I add one more thing? Absolutely. Testing? Yes. It's, it's so, and, and, and even beyond my close family, let me just say, I went out to my nieces and everyone. So I have a whole spreadsheet of our family tree that have been tested in their results, which I think that's important to pass along as well. Um, the other really important thing, and I hear so many cancer patients say this, and I think you and I've had this discussion, you know, once they're diagnosed with cancer, they're like, oh, well, I already have cancer. I don't, I don't need the genetic testing, but the genetic testing, not only to pass down to your family, it's also important in your treatment. And I can say firsthand because of, you know, things that I've been through, um, you know, PARP inhibitors for ovarian cancer, there are certain PARP inhibitors are, which are designed for people who have a mutation or a BRCA gene, you know, positive BRCA gene. And, and there are so many clinical trials that you may be eligible for because you are or you are not, you know, uh, a carrier of a mutated gene or, or what have, um, you know, um, okay. Yes, absolutely. Words, but yeah, it's very important that you know this information as soon as possible because this information down the road may be, um, very significant in your treatments. 
Absolutely. Like you said, it not only um, impacts your friends and I mean, your family members, but it also has a direct impact on the treatment guidance and the treatment path uh, your doctors and your healthcare team may take based on your mutation. So it is so, so important to get, get tested. So thank you for absolutely um, sharing this uh, critical piece of information. So um, Debbie, you've had, you know, you're not new to cancer, ovarian cancer, you have had multiple recurrences and you are still going through another round of treatment as we speak. So tell us a little more about this. I mean, your you know, cancer coming back multiple times and how do you keep yourself motivated through all this as you go through this rigors of you know, continuous treatment for the past few years? Well, um, I, I'm in remission now, so um, yay! That's wonderful. Yeah, yay! It's been almost a year since treatment, and I, I, you know, I always tell people that you know I've I've gone through this four times. You know, I've, I had it in the beginning, and then I had three recurrences. And you know, um, I will say the first time we went through it, you know, I even had a port, and I told my doctor, you know, you need to take this port out. I don't need this port anymore. And she's like, Well, why don't we leave it a little longer? I'm like, No, 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 because <laughs> You know, I always try to, you know, different people have different perspectives in life. And my perspective has always been, you know, my glass is half full, you know, everything is good. And, you know, I'm going to move on down the road. And so we had it taken out and um, about, um, I would say a little bit more than a year. It, it, we, we knew it was coming back in about a year, but we waited a little bit before treatment. And um you know, the first time you hear, oh, it's back, just like when you hear in the beginning, your first reaction is just to cry because it's like, what, you know, why, you know, what is going on? And I think the way that I've dealt with the recurrences is the support of my family. And, and I think having a support system in place, whether it be your first one and your one and done and you, you know, even after you're one and done, you still have things you deal with, or you're dealing with these occurrences. I think having a support team that, you know, is not only your family, but it's your families, your friends, your church, or your community. But more importantly, I think you need your counselors or your social workers or, or to find a, a place with an organization such as Overcome that offers online counseling, because I think friends and family are great, but I think it's it's so much easier to get with a group of people that are going through the same thing that understand it because it's so easy for friends and family to say, oh, you're going to be okay, you know, blah, 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 you know, the things that we sometimes say that we probably mm -hmm. shouldn't say, but I think the support has made me, has made it a little easier for me, uh, and some of the things that I try real hard, you know, once I had the first recurrence, I kind of thought, okay, this is probably going to happen again. So I need to figure out what I'm going to do. How am I going to deal with this? Because, you know, it is an emotional roller coaster. And I think one of the things that I decided is I am not going to stop living. You know, I tell people, sometimes they ask me, how are you doing? And I'm like living three months at a time, you know, because <laughs> that's your three month checkups. And, you know, you, you're, you're good until you get there and you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, then that anxiety comes up, but you know, I'm not going to stop living right now. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. You know, I, I wake up every morning and I try to tell myself every day is a blessing. Here I am. You know, I try to do things that I want to do. 
I don't worry about the things I can't get to. Like if I can't, if I can't dust, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I'd rather go spend time with my grandson or go have lunch with a friend that I haven't seen in a while. And I think another thing that going through the recurrences has taught me is the importance of seeing your family and friends more and trying to do things more with, you know, life gets so busy, but when you're faced with, um, faced with a disease or an illness or just a tragedy in life, I think that sometimes tells you you need to slow down and, and enjoy what's right in front of you, your, your, your family, your friends, your life. And another thing that um, I think really helped me is, and I know there's people out there like me, I'm kind of a control freak. I like to have things in order. And, you know, I put off my pictures. I'm sure a lot of people just have pictures in a box here and there. One of the things that I've done is I've been getting my pictures together for my kids. I don't plan on dying tomorrow and I don't plan on dying soon, but I know with cancer, it's just kind of got in my head that I want to make sure that all these things are the way I want them to be. Again, it's a control thing, but it has helped me and it's made me feel better about knowing I can do this. And, you know, having cancer, you know, isn't a death sentence. It's sometimes a wake up call. And, um, and it just, I don't know, it just, it just has helped me to get things in order the way I want them. And that's it. That's wonderful wisdom. And, and thank you for sharing that. I love the way you said it's not a death sentence, but it's a wake up call, which, which is amazing. It just helps us see life from a very different perspective. And like you said, appreciate the things, the little things, right, that make up our life, the friends and family who bring us joy, and um, just uh, just slowing down and just basically appreciating the things and the people around you. So, um, I mean, I love that spirit in you, Debbie, we all know that you are a true overcomer. So thank you for sharing that light with us. I mean, for, for someone who has gone through cancer so many times, but you have um, come up, come back stronger each time and you continue to give back to our community of our overcomers. So we, we really do appreciate you for your spirit. So thank oh, you. Um, thank you. Debbie, I have an important question on the, the impact of the, the emotional impact of cancer, right? We all talk about a lot about the clinical aspect of cancer, how it, you know, how it impacts our bodies and the treatments and the rigors of the chemotherapy or the surgery. But even Today, uh, we don't talk as much as we should about the uh, the emotional impact and the and the other anxieties that come with cancer. And there is no, like I always say, that whenever there is a treatment uh, protocol or something like that, there are very few institutions that take into consideration the fact that the mental, um, you know, challenges or the mental. Uh, state of the cancer patient need to be considered as importantly as the physical state of the cancer patient. So through your own journey uh, of overcoming, tell us about, uh, what do you think about the emotional impact of cancer, the, the mental struggles or the challenges you may have had and how you chose to overcome. And most importantly, share with us how you think the conversation should shift and you know, put more focus into the emotional well-being of uh, survivors everywhere. Uh, that's that's 
that's a really, really good question because, you know, I think, like I said before, you know, the family and people, you know, they don't understand more cancer patients. When you get together with other cancer patients, you're all like right on the same page, but I guess it's been an emotional roller coaster. And, and I was talking to a, a person last night, a friend asked me to talk to this person who's going through um, treatment and, it, and it, she's having a recurrence. And I, you know, I kind of tell people that I feel like when I was first diagnosed, I kind of like went through the same stages of, of when you're grieving, when you've lost someone, because, and, and, I, and, and I was thinking about that this morning, you know, cause when you're diagnosed, the first thing is denial. Oh no, it's this wrong. You know, they, you know, I, I remember when I saw my doctor for the first time, I'm like, do you, and, you know, this is my MD Anderson doctor because I kind of been misdiagnosed at first. And when I saw her, I'm like, well, do you, do you think it's cancer? And she's probably thinking, oh, girl, <laughs> my my CO125, I think we've talked about this was over 4000. And she's like, I'm 99% sure it is. But, you know, you know, and I'm thinking afterwards, you know, but it, you go through a denial, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go through anger and you're like you know, this can't happen to me right now. I've got, I've got a life going on right now. You know, I I don't have time for cancer. I don't, you know, blah, 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 you know, and then you kind of go through a bargaining stage. Well, maybe if I do this, this will do that, you know, and, and then you go through a lot of depression. I remember my biggest thing was I did not want to cry in front of my family and and I'm a crier, but I'm also strong too. But I just remember going in my bathtub I take long baths anyway, but this would be my time to cry. (laughs) I would just boo-hoo because there is a lot of depression in cancer. I mean, there's a lot of depression in our world today anyway, because of all that's going on, but it's just on top of that, you know, and then you have the acceptance. And when you get to that final stage of acceptance, that's when you realize, okay, I'm going to put my big girl panties on and I'm going to get up. I'm going to deal with this every morning and I'm not going to let it get the best of me. And I think even with the recurrences, I go through these stages again, but I think I get to the acceptance a lot faster because I think, okay, I got it. It's back. I'm going to deal with it. And even my husband's good about, you know, we'll both cry together and, and, and we'll say, well, we just got to, you know, get on with it, get your treatments over and you know, plan a trip, you know, just move on, just move on. And I think a lot of people, go through the why me, you know, why is this happening to me? Because I think some of us just, you know, it's like, what have I done so wrong to deserve this? I think that's with any illness, not only cancer, but I think one of the biggest emotions other than depression is anxiety. Um, I think the anxiety, once you go through your, your, your um, treatments and stuff, all cancer patients have an anxiety. Even if you've never had a recurrence, you have anxiety every time you go to the scans or the labs because you're thinking, oh, what if it might be bad? What if, you know? And, and so they call it anxiety. And I, I think I've even, my stomach's been upset before I go to scans, you know, and they, you know, they ask how you feel. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. But you're really, you're not okay. And I think the, um, the after effects of the cancer itself and the treatments on your 
body, especially once you've had multiple treatments, I think that you get a lot of anxiety and depression from that. An example would be my back. I've been having troubles with my back. While they say it's, you know, just from degeneration, blah, blah, blah. I, I think the treatment has made it come earlier than it might have come mm-hmm. on. Just like I have a friend that went through colon cancer and she has a, they have a muscular disease in their family. Usually doesn't hit to your 80, but she's wearing braces on her legs because of the treatment, the radiation, the chemo. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the biggest emotional effect other than when you're going through it is the after effect. And I think that there needs to be more I mean, you have introduced me to more um, um, things out there that are available. And I think that that's what our oncologists and our physicians need to be doing is trying to help aid us and pushing us to the places we need to be because um, our bodies are not the same. Once you go through treatment, I don't care what anybody says, I don't care if you're Maybe if you're healthy and you go out there and, you know, one of those big workout people every day, every day, maybe you're a little bit easier on your body. I don't know. But a lot of us, because we get, you know, cancer in our older ages, I'm 58. So I still say I'm young, but it's still, you know, they told me once that cancer ages you by 10 years. So when you're, when you're running and swimming and floating down the river and doing all these things, and then you get cancer and, you have a hard time even getting up from the ground because of all the effects on your body. It's very depressing. It's, it's a lot of anxiety from that. You know, I have anxiety thinking, oh gosh, if I get down the floor with my grandson and he runs off and gets into something, can I get up fast enough? So I think a lot of it, the, not only the, the cancer itself, but the after effects of the cancer on your body is something we need to focus on. Absolutely. And like you said that, you know, our doctors and our care centers need to put more attention and focus on this because cancer isn't just a clinical physical, um, you know, uh, it is largely physical, but at the same time, there's so much emotional you know, challenges attached to cancer that I feel even today, I mean, maybe, maybe in large institutions, it happens, but in majority of the cases, the focus isn't on the mental state of the, of the patient. And we all know how, you know, mind can impact the body. So it's, it's, it's very important that we continue this conversation and we keep talking about this and, you know, asking and urging all the healthcare institutions around the world to pay more attention on the mental well-being of not just the cancer patient, but all patients in general, you know, I mean, this is something that we have a lot of work to do. And this is, but it starts with talking about it and demanding this. So, so thank you, Debbie, for mentioning that uh, to all our listeners. So now, you know, uh, just switching gears just a little bit, this is more of a, a, um, you know, gentle questions. Uh, So if you could hold on to one memory from your life forever, uh, what could that, what would that special memory be for you? And this is just a good memory in my my life. It's up to you. It's how you, however you choose to answer. Well, one memory, it's hard to do one memory, but I, I guess 
the thing that brings me so much joy is the, the memory of all three of my girls being born. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the family so important to me. So the memory of, uh, and I talk to them about them being born all the time. And, you know, the first things we saw about them and, but it's like my marriage and my, and my children are probably the, the most beautiful memories that I will hold on to forever. How beautiful is that? So um, just to segue into that question in this whole journey of overcoming, um, who has been or have been uh, your biggest support? And if, if they are listening to our chat, how would you like to thank them? Well, now you're going to get me crying. <laughs> well, of course, my husband, he has been there. I mean, Tony, he has been there. He is my greatest supporter. He, you know, he has been by my side through almost every treatment, except when, you know, the girls make them stay home or, and, and, and I can't thank them enough for, for loving me and for taking care of me and for encouraging me and fussing at me. So I get up and, and so that I don't, um, you know, lay around and do nothing, but get up and, and, um, uh, help my body to heal faster and uh, for all the times he's uh, driven me two hours to my appointments and uh, eaten wherever I've wanted to eat and uh, just for um, always making me feel like I'm the most special person in the world I love him so much and I can't think of enough and then my daughters for always being you know being my cheerleaders and doing so many special things during my treatment to uh, make me smile, make me laugh and keep me going and telling me I can't have a glass of wine because I'm in treatment, (laughs) (laughs) but yet allowing me to have one. (laughs) I can't thank them enough. They're just beautiful spirits in their own, own way. They're all three different and have been there for so many, in so many different ways because they're so three different individuals. I can't thank them enough for being the, beautiful girls and humans that they are. That's such a special tribute. Thank you so very much, uh, Debbie. I'm sure when your loving family and they all listen to this podcast, they will be crying with us as well. So thank you for that special message. That's incredibly beautiful. So um, speaking of more beautiful things, um, I know that you have a great relationship with your physician, who also happens to be a great champion of Overcome, um, has been for the past several years. So um, tell us a little more about your relationship with your uh, oncologist and why do you think that's important and how does it impact how you manage or even view um, the disease and this whole aspect of overcoming? Well, can I, Dr. Nicole Fleming is absolutely the most wonderful oncologist ever. (laughs) I told her that I would follow her to the end of the earth. So she knew she better expect me to go with her. So that's how I feel with her feel about her, you know, as far as um, with this journey, I think that her and her team, because I think her team needs a a lot of uh, acknowledgement as well, you know, the physician's assistants and as well as, you know, her nurse, um, they are, Dr. Fleming, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm going to tear apart a PET scan and ask every question. I'm going to question why, 
um, we talked about PARP inhibitors and I came in with a spreadsheet of the three she mentioned about pros and cons on each one and had questions. And she, she is one of those doctors that she'll listen to you. She'll make her suggestion. Of course, she's going to go with what you say, but I think having her as my oncologist has, um, she feels like family to me. I mean, my husband sits in on the Zoom visits and used to go with me to every visit. And it's, it's, she's part of our family now. And, and I, I think that it's important to have that relationship and to find someone that you feel comfortable with that you can question because, you know, you are your own advocate. So I think that you want to be comfortable with your doctor to where you can question things because you question them not because you're questioning their judgment, you're questioning them because you don't understand or, or, or maybe something doesn't make sense to you or, or maybe you're just thinking like the friend last night, she's just not sure she wants to do that. So is there another alternative? So I'm so blessed that she listens to everything that, that I ask or say, and she takes everything in consideration. She takes my family into consideration. She takes my location of where I'm at in consideration so that I can get treatment closer here, even though she's further away. I think that's so important that you have that good relationship. And um, from day one, I fell in love with her because she sat down, of course, it's pre-COVID, wrapped her tall, long legs around me and was just so compassionate right in my face. We're going to take care of you. And, and that's what I needed. And I think that she continues to take care of me, but she allows me to help in the decisions. Like my last, last um, recurrence, she gave me basically about three, three options you know, we could do this or we could do this or we could do this. And of course, I always ask, well, what do you suggest? Mm -hmm. You know, and then, you know, because, and I think as a cancer patient, you need that relationship. Like I said, so you can ask, I think that so many times we go into doctors, my husband's the world's worst. And he can come home and you say, well, what do you say? What did you ask this? Well, no, well, why didn't you ask this? Because you have to ask questions. You have to write them down a piece of paper or, or in your phone and ask them. But I tell you, the, the relationship with her and, hmm, I mean, I, I hope I, I, I never have cancer again. And if, if that's the path I take, which I hope, I will continue to go back and see her. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's wonderful because it's so important, like you said, um, in the journey of overcoming to, to be able to trust, not just trust the judgment of a, a physician that you are under, but also the fact that, you know, there's a dialogue, there is a conversation where she is or he is empowering you to make your own choices and decisions. It sounds like all of these things are happening with Dr. Fleming and in your, uh, you know, effective relationship that you've had with her for the past few years. So not only is this a compassion-based relationship, but it's also a relationship where information is exchanged, questions are asked and patiently answered, choices are given. You know, this is exactly what we all need to have in terms of our relationships with our physicians, be it cancer or any other form of disease where you have that open communication with your physician and there's mutual respect and mutual compassion for one another, right? So 
Um, that's that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing all your beautiful, your beautiful family with us, your wonderful physician with us and your experience, um, you know, with overcoming uh, ovarian cancer multiple times and just moving on with life. It's incredibly inspiring, Debbie. So in closing, um, if you had to share one message with the fellow overcomers and the family members and even with the healthcare community that may be listening, uh, what would that be and how would you choose to um, inspire others uh, listening to this podcast? Well, there, there's a couple of things that I would tell people. I would say to stay as positive as you can. I know that's easily said, but I think that's very important that you say positive. Someone told me early on, your attitude is 95% of your treatment, you know, and it, it, it really helps. Never give up, never give up keep on pushing, ask more questions, get stress out of your life. I had this conversation with Dr. Fleming after my scan and she told me to, she, she told me some of these things, stay positive, keep stress to minimal because cancer likes stress. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stress in your life that you don't need. It could be people, it could be things you're doing. It could be uh, anything. And sometimes you just have to say no and get away from it. And, and I think getting stress out of your life is very important. Uh, be your best, be your best advocate. Keep pushing. If you feel like you need something more, um, be your best advocate, especially um, like we talked about for um, helping you deal with your depression. Don't sit there by yourself. Talk to someone, reach out to someone um, call overcome, uh, contact them, always get support, um, family, friends, church, community, overcome. And then of course, always remember that together we overcome. That's wonderful. Thank you, Debbie, for sharing your courageous journey of overcoming with all of us today. And um, thank you, friends, for joining us and listening to this wonderful podcast. We will be back with the next episode of Connect Over Coffee very soon. Tell a friend about this and share this podcast. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, keep overcoming. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors, GSK and Clovis Oncology, and by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Cheers to overcoming.